morning. How are you guys doing? You guys good? It's wonderful to worship the Lord. The Bible says to worship Him in spirit and in truth. And uh, we love to do that here at Free Life. So welcome to all. I, am I echoing? Can you guys hear me? It's not multiple personalities, I promise. Just one person talking. But we'd love to hear that. So let me do it while I sort that out. Um, obviously, good morning. We'd love to get into the Word. But uh, I know it is also just on some of your minds, I'm sure, the Super Bowl. So um, just out of curiosity, put your hands real high. Who's going for the Rams? Okay, very few. Colin's going for the Rams. I'm scared of him, so... Bengals, and who, and who doesn't care? All right. All right. I understand. Commercials. Yeah. All right. Uh, I'm going to read you this. I heard this. It was real funny. And uh, I'm still echo. I know. They're, they're trying to fix it. Um, this is kind of funny, but I just thought I'd read it. There was a teacher in her class who was frustrated by all the kids in her class. And obviously she's standing up in the front. And uh, she got so frustrated that, you know, they weren't listening and they weren't doing anything. So she asked, now in today's world, this wouldn't happen. But she said, are you all done? That's the only reason for your behavior. It must be. You know, frustrated teachers. So she said, all right, if you're dumb, stand up. And of course, nobody stood up. And... Um, then she thought, well, I'm winning now. They're starting to listen, you know, and they're starting to be quiet. So she re-challenged them. Come on, if you're dumb, stand up. And this one young man at the back, <clears throat> Jim, stands up. And so she was surprised. She says, Jim, are you, are you, are you saying you're dumb? She said, he says, no, ma'am, I'm not, but I just didn't want you to stand alone. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. All right, so um, let's get into the Word. I wonder if you can go to Matthew chapter 18. And uh, again, welcome to you all. It is good to see you. We had a wonderful encounter night last night where we just come and worship for a number of hours. And uh, the Lord really broke in, especially towards the end. It was just a wonderful time. And um, it's just wonderful to worship the Lord together. And uh, for those of you who are visiting with us, we are grateful to, that you would take the time to do that. And for those watching online, we say hello to you as well. And um, we're gonna, I'm going to go through a little bit quickly, if I can, a little bit from last week. And we're starting a series, well, we started a series last week uh, on, on forgiveness. And this issue of forgiveness, if you're not here last week, I, I encourage you not because I preached it. It sets a foundation for everything we're talking about today. And so, you know, if you're not here, I encourage you to go listen to it so you can kind of catch up and, and come into what we're talking about today. But I've seen uh, freedom, astounding freedom, come to people whenever we've addressed this issue of forgiveness, whenever we've talked about it, explained it. And, um, and a lot of the things today that I'm going to go over are things just from my own journey, and this revelation that the Lord started to open to me a number of years back. And um, it, it came from a deep search in my heart, which we <clears throat> probably get into later, actually through the book of Acts. And, but I've seen such astounding, um, powerful changes of people's hearts 
as they start to see truths and principles of forgiveness. But I've also seen it can cause great commotion because it, it stirs up stuff that's been laying dormant for a long time. And it was such a, it caused so much of a stir the one time when I was going through a similar type series. And uh, they actually said to me, the one gentleman came, he said, I think you should just stop preaching this because, you know, it's causing so much things to be stirred up in my heart. And, and we helped him and, and he got free and it was wonderful. But I'll say, if you know another human being, just even one, just one, pretty soon after you get to know them, you will need to forgive them. And that choice and how you handle that choice will impact your future. Guaranteed. No matter which way you go, I will forgive, I won't. I will forgive from the heart or I'll say it, but it's not in my heart. How you handle that choice will impact your future. Absolutely. It's an extremely powerful thing. So, what is forgiveness? We're going to recap a little bit from last week. Who was here last week? Uh, just real high. Okay. I encourage you to go watch. What is forgiveness? Forgiveness is to grant free pardon for or remission of any offense or debt to give up all claims, even a claim of justice, to forgive. I freely forgive. And I said this last week and I'll say it again. I've seen many people hold unforgiveness in their heart and sometimes they don't realize it or bitterness or and they call it a desire for justice. But forgiveness is to grant free pardon or remission of any offense, any debt, to give up all claim to it, even a claim of justice. I don't know how this works. I must be real thirsty. So, forgiveness is also an act of the will. It's not of the emotions. You will never one day wake up and say, man, I just feel like forgiving that person for just destroying my, you know, three years over there, I just feel like it. That's not going to happen. It's living by truth in what the Word of God says and choosing and making a choice. Emotions will follow later. There may be emotions involved, but it's not naturally going to come up. The Spirit of God will bring it up into your heart. He will bring up this thought, this choice, like maybe I should forgive that person. And also, forgiveness is a part of God's nature, which we went over last week. So we're in Matthew 18. I'm going to read... Um, verse 15 to 20, I'm going to recap a little bit of last week, and, and then I want to go forward as best as I can. So, Matthew 18, verse 15, Jesus actually starts talking about the church. Jesus only mentioned the word, he used the word church, ecclesia in the Greek, twice. And both times, he, it's very interesting, in Matthew 16, when Peter has the revelation, he says, you are the Christ, the Holy Son of God. And, you know, Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, or Simon, son of John, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father is in heaven. And then he says, and behold, you know, on this rock, which is not Peter, is the rock of the revelation of who Christ is. I will build my church, and then the gates of hell, so that's warfare. And the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, he says, and then I'm going to give you keys, keys of the kingdom. He says, I will give you keys, because you hadn't died and risen again yet. So he says, I've come to do something, and when I've done that, I'm going to actually invite you to, to, to participate with me, and I'm going to give the keys of the kingdom to the church that first Adam lost when he came under the deception of the devil. That is Christ talking about the global church, and he mentions the word church. Yeah, he mentions the word church again, but now he's talking about a local church. And he starts talking about dealing with sin. And many people have 
either heard this text preached or read this text a certain way, and it can actually sometimes cause more problems because they start going to everyone and telling them everything. You're doing this wrong to me and this wrong to you. The Bible says I must come tell you. The actual context is out of Deuteronomy 19, and it had to do with not allowing sin to come into the camp because in the Old Testament, what was the main focus? Sin. Deal with sin. God put his law, his righteous demand for fellowship into the earth in the Old Testament with the nation of Israel, the law of Moses. He puts it into the earth, and the Bible says he did that to make sin increase. None of this is in my notes. This is getting dangerous. But he did that to make sin increase. People think, Whoa, what does that mean? He did that to show people you cannot live up to the standard I demand for fellowship. You actually can't. And so when the Pharisees came and added addendums to the law, like we did with our constitution, they started changing it a little bit and making it easier, and, and they, that is called the tradition of the elders. And then they started speaking about the tradition of the elders, and they said, this is actually God's word, even when it wasn't. And Jesus was kind of a little bit upset with that. He was the word made flesh. He said, the point of the law was to bring you to me, to show that you need a divine rescuer. That's the point to make you fall to your knees and cry out for help. You can't do it. That's the point. So he comes and lives a sinless life and sheds sinless blood and through sinlessness defeats death because the wages of sin is death. So here he starts to speak about sin to Jewish people because their whole context was that was the focus. But Jesus is actually saying, which we touched on last week, I've come to deal with this issue of sin. I've come to take care of this. So now what do you do you know, in, in terms of I've come to pay the price for mankind because no one can do it. And then if you believe in me and receive you in, me in your heart, and I, you know, in a sense I give you the robe of righteousness. I earned it. You can't. But I'll give it to you. So he does that. Now he's talking about sin within a context of people doing stuff to each other. Because in the Old Testament it says, a hand for a hand, in Deuteronomy 19, a hand for a hand, a foot for a foot, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a life for a life. What you do to me, I do back to you. And it was all justice and deal with sin. Jesus said, I've come to give my life for your life. It's not going to be like it was. And there was a, in the Jewish court, in the Sanhedrin, there was a, in Deuteronomy 19, in Jewish law, you have to have two or three witnesses to come and bring an accusation against someone else. So, with that understanding, let's read. He says, moreover, if your brother sins against you, Matthew 18, verse 15, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Can we say alone? We touched on that last week. Please go and watch it. Alone. If people just did that, we'd have a lot less issues. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. If he will not hear you, take one or two more. That, then he quotes the law, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, everything may be established. In other words, he's saying, you have something, prosecutable evidence that you can bring across, bring to this man in a court of law. Not our courts in the Jewish Sanhedrin. According to the scriptures, that's how they would do it. And you have proof, you have evidence. You can bring it and you can get this man and, you know, you can harm this guy through that process. But instead, because of your heart, you go to him and you say, hey, I don't want to do that. Let's you and I make peace. I could, but I don't want to. That's the heart of this text. Not running around telling everyone, you did this, and man, I mean, you're terrible, but I'm nice. I'm going to tell you what you did so I can forget. That causes trouble. So he says, and if, if he refuses to hear them, these witnesses, tell it to the church, 
But if he refuses even to hear the, uh, hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and tax collector. And that has to do with church discipline, which we'll get into next week, which is if there's something that a person is doing that is, you know, it's not little offenses. It's not, it's like 1 Corinthians 5, when a man was sleeping with his mother-in-law, but celebrating it, saying, this is God's will, this is wonderful. They said, actually, yeah, that's not, you can't do that. So that it doesn't come like leaven, the Bible in the Old Testament calls sin leaven or yeast, and it spreads a little bit, starts to spread throughout. Does that make sense? So, then Jesus throws out these statements, assuredly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. The exact same statement in Matthew 16 when he talked about the church. And again I say to you that two two of you agree, can we say agree? That word is symphonia, means symphony, like a symphony. You come into one, you make one sound. If two agree on earth, now we're talking a great agreement between heaven and earth. Because he said, listen, I've come to do something. I've come to deal with the sin of mankind, to bind things, and to loose the Holy Spirit, to loose things from heaven and to bind things. And I'm going to give you the authority in my name to bind what I've already bound and to loose, in a sense, what I've loosed, to partner with me Hello, the Great Commission, in, dis- in displaying my splendor, in releasing what the victory that I've done, and it can be sent throughout the earth. So, I'm going to give you keys to bind and loose, to lock and unlock. And he says, yep, but if two of you agree, all right, on earth, concerning anything that they ask, not like I want a Ferrari, two people say, let's agree, and then boom, no, no, no agree based on what he's come to do, okay? It will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered there together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. So there's increased presence and increased authority. Then Jesus goes into a parable, and he tells a parable, we covered this last week, so I'm going fast, about uh, this master who, and all these servants, which represents the Lord and us, you know, and he says, all right, this one guy owed him 10,000 talents, which is 60 million days of wages, so almost, uh, almost a million years of wages. I, I, I can, it's any numerous, you can't pay it back. Rep- representing, you can't pay the price for sin. You can't. And he says, but I'll forgive you. And he forgave this man this enormous debt. This man, this servant, left, walked out, and found someone who owed him hardly anything and shook him and threw him in court and threw him in prison until he could pay it back. And the other servants saw this process, forgiven for everything, couldn't forgive for nothing almost. And it says they were grieved. But what that reveals is how a believer sees the gospel is often revealed in their treatment of other people. And the master responds in the parable, you wicked servant. In the Hebrew New Testament, he says, you servant of Belial, which is a Hebrew name for Satan. It's a bit more intense in the Hebrew What's he saying? He doesn't say you're a Satanist. That's not, it means you're thinking and you're empowering the wrong kingdom. You have not let the forgiveness I've given you go into you and go through you in such a way that it affects how you treat others. You're thinking with the wrong mind. You're thinking with the wrong kingdom. Does that make sense? And that is a little bit of what we see in Matthew 18 because Peter asked the question, well, how often should I forgive? And, you know, he talks about 70 times 7, which I explained last week. But R.C. Sproul, the great theologian who passed recently, he said, 
the heart of what he was saying in the Greek and in the Hebrew. He says, until it, you know, uh, as many times as it takes, Peter. Because forgiveness will do a work in the person's heart who you forgive. So, there are many aspects to forgiveness. I read this a little bit last week. And I, I don't take it lightly in terms of it's not flippant to me. Because, it, it, you know, people have been through trauma, pain, abuse, some awful things in life. And, but there's forgiveness between God and man, which is the gospel. There's forgiveness person to person, man to man. And that is partly what Jesus is saying here. It's not just about sin in Matthew 18. It's not just about making sure that it doesn't go throughout. He said, I'm giving you keys for the authority of what I've come to do. But, Peter, but disciples, the way you treat one another the way you forgive one another, the way you love one another is directly linked to the expression of the authority I've come to give you. And so we cried for revival, we cried for God's power, we do this, and then we go over here and we offended and upset and hurt and spreading gossip. And he says, listen, these two things are linked. They're linked. You may not see how or why, but they're linked. They're tied together. Let the forgiveness, the gospel, go through you in such a way that it starts to affect your lens and how you see people. That's what he's saying. So there's forgiveness between God and man. There's forgiveness man to man. There are spiritual realities. I called them that last week. Let's call them principles. It's less super spiritual. Spiritual principles of forgiveness. We're going to look at that today. We won't get finished, but that's okay because there's next week. And uh, there is forgiveness as a local body. There's such a thing in the Bible as how does a church view together, one local body, how do they handle forgiveness? There's an attitude that can come into an entire church. We'll cover that. Forgiveness towards authority figures. That's tough. Leaders, parents, teachers, pastors that have hurt you. Parents that hurt you. Teachers that hurt you. probably happened to all of us. How do you, why does that go so deep? We can talk about that. Forgiveness towards ourselves, the hardest to forgive. And then practically, how to forgive. The Bible says, forgive as Christ forgave, which is quite a statement. How do we do that? What must I do? Next week, I'm hoping to actually cover a little bit of that and actually have some people up here and have some opportunity for ministry to, to help people walk through a process of, of forgiving someone, even yourself. But it all hinges on the one thing, Christ's forgiveness to us. It all swings back and forth on that one, that Jesus Christ came, shed innocent blood, his blood on the cross, and forgave us our sins that everything swings on that. Even chemically, I think this will come up behind you. Dr. Luskin, I think it's Dr. Fred Luskin. To be real with you, I'm not even sure if he's a believer. I read this a long time ago. Um, But he looked at the science. You know, he's a scientist, he's a doctor. The science of forgiveness chemically in the body. And uh, there's a, you could go down a whole track here. It's incredible what the Lord knew all the way back here that we're now figuring out with our instruments, but he says this, when you don't forgive, you release all the chemicals of the stress response. Each time you react, you know, to someone when they do something to you. Adrenaline, cortisol, norepinephrine, enter the body. 
When it's a chronic judge, when it's a chronic grudge, I would call that unforgiveness. When it's ongoing in the heart, you could think about it up to 20 times a day. And those chemicals will limit creativity, they limit problem solving. Cortisol and norepinephrine cause your brain to enter what we call the no thinking zone. And over time, they lead you to feel helpless and like a victim. When you forgive, chemicals are released that wipes all of that clean. God knew that a long time ago. Isn't that amazing? There's much you can go read about that. So, spiritual principles of forgiveness. Spiritual principles of forgiveness. Spiritual authority, we'll touch on that. Choosing what we reproduce. Forgiveness releases unto repentance. What does that mean? Multiplying the victories of Christ. Forgiveness leads to freedom. There's more. Let me just say this. These are titles of principles that I came up with. It's not about what they're called. It's about understanding the principle. Really, it's about understanding the principle. I've changed some of these things over the years as God began to open this to me, reveal this to me. I wasn't taught a lot of this. It just, just by the grace of God, showed me some of this in Scripture. So the first one, spiritual principle. There are things that happen in the spiritual realm which we can see when we choose to forgive and unforgive, or when we hold things and we have unforgiveness. There are, there are things that take place there, and they affect you. They affect people around you greatly. There are principles in the spirit of forgiveness and unforgiveness. Firstly, your spiritual authority. Forgiveness and unforgiveness. We have been given delegated authority by Christ to implement his will, to advance his kingdom, to, to display his splendor on the earth. Whether that to you means authority, whether that's gifts, the power of the Holy Spirit, all the things we often pray for, we've been given that. And as, I, as we saw last week and this morning, it's tied and connected actually to how we forgive one another, how we treat one another. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, it says this, Paul talking about a person that this church had to forgive, and he says, you know, whom you forgive, I forgive. I've forgiven anything, I've forgiven that one for your sake in the presence of Christ. He says, lest Satan should take advantage of, the, of us because we are not ignorant of his devices. And I know I said this last week. That word is mind. Some of your Bibles say schemes. And Paul is saying, when you don't forgive, you think like him. Instead of thinking with the mind of Christ, which we were given when we got saved, and through the process of renewing of the mind, Romans 12, we begin to think like the Lord. He changes the way we think. That's the Hebrew word for, I mean the Greek word for repentance, metanoia, change the way you think. And as we grow in the Lord, and as we grow in the Lord, and as we put this word in, in us, and as we get in his presence, our mind starts to be renewed and starts to change day by day. And we start to think differently. We start to see people differently. And so Paul is saying here in 2 Corinthians, when you hold unforgiveness, when you don't forgive, you're thinking like the enemy. It's, it's a profound statement. Unforgiveness is the weapon the enemy wields over God's people to prevent or block or hinder the renewing of the mind. I'll say it again. Unforgiveness is one of the enemy's chief weapons that he wields. He can wield it over an entire congregation easily because we all love to gossip and spreads around. He wields this weapon over God's people, chief weapon of his, to prevent, block, or hold back the renewal of the mind, the changing of the mind. 
Romans 12 says, how does transformation of the believer come? The renewing of the mind. So he says, I don't want this believer to be continually transformed from glory to glory and start to recognize and see and get to know the Lord and love people even when they're hurting them and love their enemies and bless and do not curse. And there's such power in those things. Oh, I don't want that. I need to stop this person starting to think like the Lord and filling their life, filling their life with the word, filling their life with his presence. I need to stop that. So I'm going to wield unforgiveness over them and it's going to go into their heart and then the mind being renewed stops. And so we say, Lord, show me, Lord. And then over here, deep grudges and bitterness. And, and as I said, this began many years ago in my heart was a deep cry inside of me as I began to study the word in the book of Acts because of my desperate cry to see what we saw in the book of Acts be normal for the church again. And in my youth, it was all I was looking for power and signs and wonders and miracles, and I found all of that, and that's wonderful, and God showed me many things. But there's this phrase that jumped out at me. And, and it kind of started to like irritate me almost. I'm like, it can't be that. You know, you want it to be what you want it to be. I want the word to say what I want the word to say, Lord. He's like, what's well, my word, buddy? So, mm-mm. And this phrase started to jump out at me, one accord. One accord, especially in the first eight chapters. One accord. In the Greek, it's homothymidon. One accord. It means one person, one mind, unison in body and mind. One passion. And it really actually bugged me because before all the texts, and I've thrown some, I don't, actually, I don't know if I have some scriptures up behind us uh, in the book of Acts. Before all the major texts that we read in the book of Acts, you know, like Acts 2, where they were all together and they had everything in common and the signs and wonders, before all those types of texts, Acts 1.14, Acts 2 verse 1, Acts 2.46, Acts 4, where the building was shaken in a prayer meeting because it was actually how they responded to threats. How would the church respond to political threats today? March and this and that, protest and all the stuff in the flesh, which I'm not saying it's bad and we can do it, but can you deal with it spiritually? They came together in one accord and began to pray. And the building was shaken and great boldness took place. Acts chapter 2, it says they were all in one, with one accord and in one place, like this. And they were all with one accord in heart and mind. It says, and then suddenly the Holy Spirit came. Acts chapter, Acts chapter 2, 46. Acts chapter 5. When everyone was healed, that was there. Every, Peter's shadow, that crazy text, Peter's shadow healing people. Just before that, again, it says, and all the believers were in one accord. And I started to see all these texts that we look and we read there's this pattern being on one accord. The revival with Philip in Acts chapter 8. It says the whole city was turned to joy. Just before that it says they were in one accord. In Acts 15, they sent Barnabas and Paul, they said our beloved brethren, to Jerusalem to deal with a doctrinal disagreement. Think about that today. Oh, the fighting in the church. But it says they sent them and they were in one accord. They disagreed, but they were in one accord. Every time in the book of Acts, I started. So that's actually what sent me to Matthew 18. 
it's it, it took me, I landed there. The Lord was just beginning to unravel. Clayton, it's not just power, signs and wonders and gifts and all these things we talk about. It's how you treat that person and how you love that person and how you forgive that person and how they're, it's okay if they're different. To be in one accord, only possible in the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God can bind together people and make them like one. It's a fantastic thing that the Lord commands us as his body on the earth, like we're one person, walk in step, keep in unison. Yet we are so different, different cultures, different opinions, different colors, which shouldn't matter at all, at all. Means nothing. Different languages, different histories, different pasts, different families, different traditions, different... And all of those people came together in the book of Acts. I mean, they came from all over the place. You go read it. And they were in one accord. And God began to move. God began to move. Spiritual authority what is tied to our spiritual authority and the release of God's purposes from a group of people, from an individual, has to do with how you treat one another. They are linked, friends. They are linked, they are linked, they are linked. And I realized that I saw it in my own heart. I can pray and intercede and cry out and fast. Those are good things, and I did that. But I could do that as much as I want. But I have to allow the Holy Spirit to move in my heart and give me his heart and his eyes for other people. And then you'll see his power and his, but he, come in and change me, Lord. Spiritual authority. Secondly, choosing what we reproduce. Hebrews 12, if we can go there, this is just another spiritual principle I have found with forgiveness and unforgiveness. And these are real things. These are real things. People have had real trauma, real stuff take place. And we're going to look at that. Choosing what we reproduce. Hebrews 12, verse 12 to 16 says, Therefore, interestingly in Matthew 18, what is the context? He's talking about church discipline, but then he starts to talk about authority and forgiveness. The lesson, the parable on forgiveness. Hebrews 12, strangely enough, the context is on discipline of the Lord to us. And he starts to talk about similar things. Because it all is tied to how we respond to authority. Therefore strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. And make straight paths for your feet. So that what is lame may not be dislocated but rather healed. How's this? Pursue peace with all people. And holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully. Lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up causing trouble, or cause trouble. You know, when you see some people, we'll say in your young adult years, because I, know, I now know you guys are all just perfect saints. Um, they come into the bar, or they come to the party, or they come in, and you're like, no, that person is a rabble rouser. If they come, trouble. Do I just know people like that? None of you, okay. We're going to have people up here afterwards. They're going to help you deal with the lies. But it says here, Lest any root of bitterness springing up, springing up, so it's there, cause trouble. And by this many become defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, 
who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. It's actually talking there about sexual morality and stuff. Just interesting, it shows you that sexual morality is actually an identity issue. So Paul is saying, pursue peace with all people and practical righteousness. And when you do that, watch for these three things. They're going to come and they're going to try to get you from the enemy. Watch for these three things. And he gives them the three. Don't fall short of the grace of God. That's not being so bad that you like, you know, you've ex expanded all of God's grace. He's run out, so good luck. It actually means don't go back onto self-righteousness and self-effort as a means to him. Stay on the foundation of what Christ has done. Don't go away back into legalism, which we're not going to talk about. And then he talks about this root of bitterness. Now, the interesting thing to me is this one is the one out of the three. He says, this one, many will become defiled. Let's read it again. Lest any root of bitterness springing up cause, cause trouble, rabble rouser. Bitterness is like a, a, a rabble rouser in your own heart. It's like that person that comes to the party inside your heart and just starts throwing tables, man. Just like throwing tables, flipping over chairs, here I am, causing trouble, inside. And by this many become defiled. That word bitterness is pikria. It comes from the word pikros. You know, in Acts chapter 2, Peter preaches this incredible sermon after the Holy Spirit falls. 3,000 people get saved. And it says what? It says their hearts were, who knows? They were what to the heart? Cut to their heart. They were pierced to the heart. They were cut to the heart. It's the same word. In the King James, it says they were pricked. Their hearts were pierced. And they said, what must we do to be saved? That's the same word. And what is actually being shown is that bitterness in the heart starts to cause a person to become numb to the truth. Bitterness in the heart starts to, and I've seen this over 18 years of ministry, starts to cause a person to become like they're not pricked anymore. The things that used to disturb you don't disturb you anymore. The, when the, the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit comes, it's just their heart. It's like they're numb to the truth that actually wants to set them free. You all know what I'm talking about? That's what starts to happen. It's that same word. And there's a bitter root. It's, it's a root. It means it's underground. You can't see it all the time. But then it springs up. And it's like you become numb to the truth because of bitterness and unforgiveness. It's amazing. It's amazing. And it develops in a person's heart. I have, as I said, been in ministry now 18 years. I, I can't believe that because to many of you I'm still young. But I have personally, in my walk, in my experience, I have found unforgiveness to be probably the number one factor for repeated activity down the generations. And I don't, I don't speak about this lightly. I know even people here that have been through what I'm talking about. There's an abusive alcoholic father. And we've seen it in life to his son. His son grows up. He hates that. He becomes abusive to his son and that to his son. And it's repeated. Maybe not that issue, but others. We've all seen it. It's not news. It's not shocking to us. It's unforgiveness in the heart. It's like if I had a gun that shoot, shot seeds and I shoot Tommy, whack, and the seed goes into his heart. Now I've, I've sinned against him. I've done something. I've shot him with a seed gun. 
pretend. Whatever that is that I've done to him, it's like a seed goes into him. The faster he can forgive, not just pretend it didn't happen, oh, I'm fine, it didn't affect me. No, deal with it. Work it through in your heart. Be honest with yourself. That hurt. Work it through. But get that out. Get it out. Because when we don't and we hold on to it and we, this feeling of, I, I'm going mm, to almost feel justified in it. It's such a cruel weapon of the enemy because you feel righteous in it sometimes. Like the servant in the parable. That man did owe him stuff. He did actually owe him, but he'd forgotten what he was just forgiven. So we hold on to this, and that thing begins to grow and reproduce in you what you hate. Hello? And now you deal with shame and guilt all the time. If you were standing where I stand, you see people just, we all know this. Now we deal with this. That's why I hate the devil. I hate him. I hate him. I hate him. See what he does to people. And then he tells them it's their fault. This truth will set you free, friends. Free. Forgive. Give up your claim of justice. And be free. The word... That same word in the Greek, bitterness, the roche in the Hebrew. You know what it means? Venom and poison. And it puts a lens over your eyes. You become like a victim. If you don't forgive, you either become a victim, and that doesn't, you don't become like that, but you either become like a victim, which is no way to live, because a victim has a lens. They take everything personally. You're not even talking about them. And they're like, oh, they meant me. Mm-mm. Everything, personal, 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 offended like that, hurt like that. It, it, you get uncomfortable because you know, I can't actually tell them the truth. There's going to be a massive reaction. I'm glad this, you know, you guys know what I'm talking about. I thought maybe it's just my family. I don't know. But these things, as the Lord started to reveal them to me, it's like you want to go to people and say, forgive them all. I don't care what they've done, forgive them. And then what starts to happen, there's this lens on our eyes and we see things that aren't really there and every time we speak about it, it's like venom and poison and starts to infect everybody else around us. But we feel justified in it. Can I? I heard someone say this. It's a great single sentence to say what I'm talking about. If sin against you causes sin in you, the enemy wins twice. Let me say it this way. Tommy, can you come here? Kevin and Dad, can you? Is that all right? You're going to be God, so. <laughs> person A, face them. Person A and person B. Can I stand down here? Can you guys see me down there? So, Kevin's just all sorts of mean, right? So, Kevin does something to Tommy. Shh, offended. Sins against him. The enemy already won here. He's not lost his stuff. He's fine. He's going to heaven. But there's an issue. The enemy won here. So he does something here. Now Tommy reacts. You know, give me your hands. So Kevin does something here. I'm Kevin. <laughs> Kevin does something here. And he's like, I'm Tommy and you don't. He offends this guy. Now he has a choice. If he reacts, if he reacts, 
what was done to him now begins to grow in him and the enemy smiles here. Well, you wouldn't believe what he did to me. And I can, why'd you do that? And I don't deserve that. And uh, this reaction. Now the enemy wins here too. And then he goes home and speaks to Carly. She gets secondhand offended at him. Now the enemy wins here too. She picks up the dog, like we said last week. Now the enemy wins here too. And all the while, the Lord stands here. Thank you, Jesus. The Lord stands here. <laughs> And like with Colossians 3 on his mouth, forgive as I forgive, saying, I know it hurt, Tommy. Forgive him. What you're doing will make it hurt longer. Please forgive him. Forgive as I forgive, Colossians 3. Forgive as I forgive. He stands there the whole time saying, forgive. The Bible in the Old Testament calls sin leaven. Okay, we have to see this. So... Watch this. this. When I started to understand this, friends, you will see people differently. Sin, a little bad little ball of whatever. Sin, okay? Comes against him. Boom. Something happens. Now it goes to him. There's a reaction. Now he goes home and shouts at Carly because he's upset. Carly shouts at the kids. Sin is like leaven. A little bit of leaven goes through the lump. And it starts to go, travel. Boom, 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 boom. Thanks, guys. And that's what starts to happen. The Bible says that's what sin does, right? What's the design of God? I don't want to say should, because, you know, the shoulds and coulds, they are awful. His design is he waits for that thing that travels around this to you, to you, to you, to you, to hit a Christian. Boom! Oh, there it stops. Because I'm in him. And I'm in Christ. Somebody has to take the hit. And I remember the hit he took for me. A price I couldn't pay. So I take the hit. I can love you. And I can bless you. Even while you're hurting me. And I can do this. Why? Because I'm a believer in God. I'm a Christian. A Christian as some people say. I'm in him. And the penalty for that. Which is going around. Was taken care of. It has to stop somewhere. So God put his believers on the earth. So the thing that goes, and then it hits a believer. Boom. And it has no power. That's what we're called to. You choose what you reproduce. You choose what you reproduce. I've got eight minutes. That was something I said to myself. Third spiritual principle, forgiveness releases unto repentance. I say that because I was praying for someone and it just came out of my mouth one day. And honestly, it took me a while to understand it. I knew the Holy Spirit had, in a sense, spoken. It's not a science or a formula, but the act of forgiveness that you give to another person will actually affect their heart. They'll have a choice to partner with it. It may just be a small thought that comes into their mind, even if they don't know you've forgiven them. The act of forgiveness, even if you're not doing it person to person, the act of forgiveness to other releases them to repentance. It gives them an option. And what do I mean? Forgiveness always precedes freedom at every level. We were forgiven by Christ, Ephesians 1, 7. In him we have redemption through the shedding of his blood, the forgiveness of sins. 
That took us where? From under a slave master of sin, Romans 6, the slave, not free. It took us from there and stuck us in the hand of the Father. Forgiveness, when we receive it, took us into freedom. Forgiveness always comes before freedom, always, at every level, even with you and other people. Always, as we put our faith in Christ, what's that happen? That's why it's the kindness and the goodness of God that releases to repentance. He was slain before the foundation of the world. So, the forgiveness is there. So, I was, hello, I hear you, Lord. So, I'm standing up, and I'm preaching on the Father's heart, the Father heart of God, the love of God. This young lady stands up many years ago, like 2012 or something. She stands up and walks out. I went up to her afterwards and I said, you're okay. She said, if God's a father, I want nothing to do with him because of what her father had done to her. So we worked through that process. A little while later, she comes and tells me her mother abused her. Her mother was actually a wonderful woman, but just one time as an event, it was very severe. And they were friends now, but they had never spoken about it. She was a little girl, but she remembered. They had never spoken about it. And I'm praying for her about this. And I said, you, got, you must go home and forgive your mother. She said, I can't. And I said, forgiveness will release her unto repentance. She said, I can't. She went home and she said, my words were, what was irritating her? <laughs> it was the, the Lord, not me. So she started to pray. This is a true story. Her mother's in the other bedroom and she's here. And she starts to say, God, I forgive her. I forgive her. And just forgives her. Her mother happened to be praying in the other bedroom. All of a sudden, this instance comes up in her heart. She got up, walks over to her daughter's bedroom, opens the door in tears and says, I don't know if you remember, but when you were a little girl, and I want to ask your forgiveness, her forgiveness released her to be free. But it would have come as an option in her heart. She could have ignored it or not. And it's not always that clean and perfect. Sometimes there's a time distance between these two things. Forgiveness releases unto repentance. Releases unto repentance. When I was nine years old, I kicked a soccer ball and you know that, that pad, that hard pad under your big toe? That like hard pad of skin, it's like, I don't know what it's called, foot pad, I don't know, Dr. Megan will tell you. <laughs> but I was barefoot, my parents told me probably not to be, and I kicked it on tar and it removed that whole pad. Just very painful, right? So I go to school and there was this boy at school, and every morning I'd get to school, he would jump on my foot. And so I would tell my parents, obviously, and this makes them sound like bad parents, they're amazing parents, you all know that. They obviously helped clean it, probably spoke to the school and the boy, but you can't be there every second of every day. My dad sat me down. I'll never forget this. He said, I want you to love that boy. I said, Dad, and he's quoted the scripture which says, when you love your enemy, you pour, you pour burning coals into their lap. He said, no matter what he does to you, you love him. And he would jump on my foot and I would say, it's okay. Cry, it's okay. I wasn't always like that at nine, I promise you. But it was obviously the Lord was teaching me something. After a couple of weeks, obviously as my foot was healing, he broke down, he was like the school bully, he broke down. 
said, why are you still so nice to me? I never hurt anybody after that. Same principle. Multiplying Christ's victory. We're gonna go through this, then we'll be done. Spiritual principles of forgiveness. This one, for me, I, I, Lord, I pray you give us revelation on this. We see this in the life of Stephen and Paul. Stephen was the first martyr. While they're stoning him, Acts 7, and unfortunately, I didn't give them a lot of slides. I ran out of time, to be honest. I had a very busy weekend, but they're stoning Stephen. It says this in Acts 7. It says, and they stoned Stephen, and he was calling on God, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit, because they're killing him. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. When he had said that, he fell asleep. Think about that. That's not, you're killing me, I forgive you. He's saying, one day there's going to be an account of this event, Lord. In that day, please don't hold us against it. The Bible says Saul, who became Paul, was standing there, and they laid their coats at the feet of a man named Saul. And that was a way of declaring he was the one who was in authority there. And because he was the one in authority, he was the one who one day would have stood before the Lord and given an account for that event. So Stephen speaks it loudly, and Paul hears it. The early church father in the first couple hundred years, St. Augustine, said, we owe, the church owes Paul to the forgiveness of Stephen. What happened there started to go into that man's heart. Now, why was Stephen appointed by the church as a leader? To deal with issues that arose with the Hellenists, Jews that lived outside of Jerusalem. They were called Hellenists. They lived in a Greek lifestyle, but they were Hellenists. So Stephen was appointed for the Hellenists. And the scriptures will come up behind me. I just didn't have the time to write them all down. But you can, don't just believe me. Go look at this. So Stephen starts, he's released into ministry to the Hellenists. The Hellenists ended up killing him. The people that killed him were men of Cyrene and men of the synagogue of the freedmen. That was a specific synagogue for Greek Jews, for Hellenists. They killed him. Paul giving, saying yes. Then Paul encounters God the next, you know, a couple chapters later. And Paul, one day, goes into a place where there were Hellenists and men of Cyrene. And you can trace it through. I personally believe maybe some of the same people. And Paul has incredible fruit with that group. What's the point? Forgiveness, please hear me, extends to the person you forgive an invitation. Not just forgiveness, freedom. It extends to them an invitation, whether they know it or not, to walk in victories that you fought for and they didn't. People say, oh, that's a stretch. Well, I'm almost done, Lord. <laughs> awesome. It's like, all right, here, hurry, hurry up, buddy. And people say, that's a stretch, Clay. I'm, I'm not so sure. Well, let's look at it with Jesus and us, the thing that paints and colors every other type of forgiveness. Christ suffered for our sin, did he not? And he paid the price for our sin, did he not? And he forgave you. But in his forgiveness, did he not and extend an invitation to you to come and partner with him? 
Did he not furnish you in his forgiveness with authority and power and his spirit? It's exactly the same. It's exactly the same. And when we receive his forgiveness and we become filled with his spirit, he says, come be co-laborers. Come be partners with me. When you forgive, friends, that's why one of the definitions of to forgive means to furnish with all that they need. When you forgive, God is smart. It's like real smart. All the English people are going, it's really smart. But I live in America now, so it's real smart. <laughs> he really is. And he has made a way that every time you forgive, just like leaven sin tries to travel through, every time you forgive, the advancement of the kingdom of God multiplies in ways that you couldn't possibly fathom in the spiritual realm. Every time you forgive, forgive, it just... Because he's God. When there is, between us, between two people, I hurt him, let's, let's say that, because he's wonderful. He, I, he forgives me. If I take that forgiveness, humble myself, and become reconciled to him, I get to, I receive what his forgiveness has just offered. It changes me. It helps me. It grows me. Or if we've hurt each other, and there's mutual forgiveness. He forgives me and I forgive him. Ah, oh, the Lord wins. Boom, 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 boom. It just spreads. If I choose not to, he's free. His heart is free. I'm not. When a person forgives you, or when you forgive someone, it's like when it's not received, it's like a person saying, and I understand, especially if it's difficult, these are real issues. It doesn't, it's not just like that, oh, well, sure, no problem. No, it's real. Real. It's, it takes, it's a process. It's like saying, I'm choosing to not partner for increased authority. I don't want that. It's like saying, I'm choosing to think like the enemy because I want to partner with his kingdom. It's like saying, I'm choosing to allow what was done to me to reproduce in me. I'll deal with it. I'll fix it myself. It's like saying, I'm choosing to say no to any victory you've won. I'll just do it all myself. It's like saying, I'm choosing to allow my heart to grow numb and to not be pricked by the conviction of the Holy Spirit because I want to feel justified and hang on to what was done to me. Forgive. Forgive. Forgive, 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 forgive. Forgive yourself. Forgive. Next week, how? How? What do I do? If issues come up in your heart this week, write it down, bring it on Sunday. I bless you. I love you guys. Can we pray? Let's do that. Why don't we stand? David Wilkerson, really a mighty man of God, said... Wherever you find the true, the genuine and true work of forgiveness in people's hearts, there, in that place, we find a growing love and a devotion for Jesus Christ.
Father, we pray. Holy Spirit, I ask you and I thank you for this truth. I pray that it runs through us like wildfire. And we will be a church that understands what it means to walk in forgiveness so that we may see your splendor displayed to the world. We love you. Teach us to love one another. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Six words, give up your claim of justice. That's good. If you'd like prayer for anything, there'll be a team over here. Uh, Thank you, visitors. Thank you for visiting us online, too. Uh, Go football. Go commercials. Go halftime. And we'll see you next week. Good morning, Free Life Church. We are glad you've joined us today. We would love to connect with you. Connection cards are a great way to let us know if you're new to us, any needs or comments you may have, or how we can simply connect with you. To submit a card, simply scan the QR code on the back of the seat or visit the Connect page on our website. If you are a first-time visitor, please stop by the Connection Corner in the lobby to receive your welcome bag. We look forward to meeting you. Ladies, we have a special event coming up for you. Join us for a screening of Sight & Sound Theater's beautiful production of Queen Esther on Saturday, February 26th. Girls aged 7 and up are welcome at parents' discretion. Please sign up to let us know you're coming. Loud & Burn will be hosting a burn event next Saturday, February 19th, here at Free Life. Drop by the sanctuary anytime from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. to worship, pray, or simply soak in the presence of God. Various musicians will be playing throughout the day with a time of ministry in the evening. Visit the Loud and Burn 24-7 Facebook page for more details. Here at Free Life, we believe in kingdom giving and we invite you to give toward the work that God is doing. The easiest way to give is by texting Free Life Church VA to 77977 on your mobile device or go to the Give tab on our website. Checks or cash may be dropped in the connect box at the back of the sanctuary. Stay informed of upcoming events, holiday schedules, and weather closures by subscribing to our weekly newsletter. Simply text Free Life to 41400 to sign up. Remember, to learn about all of our upcoming events, please see the events page on our website. Thanks for joining us today.